Hi, I'm Bill Watkins, and welcome to the Good Shared Podcast. The Good Shared Podcast is designed to share all kinds of good stories. Some stories will be spiritual, some more practical, and some will be shared just for entertaining. The Good Shared Podcast is a production of the Creve Hall Church of Christ in Nashville, Tennessee. Thanks for joining us. I'm really blessed today to have a wonderful, amazing, patriotic lady, Dee Linda Spears. She's one of my great friends that I've known now for 18 years and just a lovely, lovely person. But she has a great story to tell. So, Dee Linda, tell us, tell us a little bit about where you were born and what the circumstances were at the time. Okay. First of all, I thank you for asking me to be here. Thank you for the privilege of it, giving me your time. I, w- I was born in East Germany, the state of Silesia, that was German at the time. And after the war, World War II, Stalin, Roosevelt, and Churchill gave my home to the Polish people, to Poland. In compensation for the lands that Russia took from Poland, they took 200 miles of the choicest land in order to compensate the Poles that were pushed out from that region, they said, okay, let's put them to Silesia. And that way, overnight, after we came back from Prague Slovakia, where we walked on foot from January till May, then when we came back, Polish people met us. They said, you are Schwabe, which means cockroaches. They hated us, naturally. We were the enemy spit upon us, kicked us, the land was not ours, the whole houses which were not destroyed were occupied by the Poles, we lived on the bridges, in, in stables, anywhere, on okay. the street. You've got to tell me more about this, because, uh, you know, you're born in there, it becomes part of the Polish nation, but you said that you had to walk on foot for months right. uh, in order to... Why was that, and what what prompted that? Okay, I lived under Nazism, and my father was a government employee under Nazism, high-ranking officer. We were having a luxurious life, a wonderful life, and but in 1945, in January, the war escalated, and my father said, you need to leave. The Russians were maybe 60, 70 miles away from us. And the bombings increased. I spent hours in the basement at night, during the day. How old were you then? I was born in 1939, so I was five and a half. And uh, that was a fearsome time for me. I lost my grandmother in one of those bomb attacks. Sometimes I was with my mother. Sometimes I had to run to the cellar by myself sitting there in the dark basement, air shelter really, stifled air, bombs falling. I have claustrophobia to this day because of it. In January, it was getting so bad. The Russians were coming closer, and my father said, you need to go away. Take take a little suitcase. Will you be back in a week or so? We will push the Russians back. Germans could not believe that they were losing the war. And so we'll push the Russians back. Well, we walked. All the cars, the trains, the even people who had a horse and buggy were all confiscated to, to use for the war. So we had nothing but our own legs. 
So how did you survive that? Well, this was terrible. Uh, many people didn't. This is called the German Death March. And I've had people tell me when I was speaking in different parts of the United States, oh, that wasn't a death march. Death march is blah, blah, blah. Well, this is a death march. If you define death march, it's always one where the people dying and there's no way out. And we were a, a colony of old people and young mothers with, with little children. That's what we were. My, so did you see anybody dying? Now? Oh, every day, all day long. This was one of the worst winters in history. Some, some parts were as, as low as 25 minus, some even more. We had nothing. After a while, you walk. We walked sometimes 30 miles a day because the bombs were behind us. We were scared. Some days we couldn't walk at all. It was so cold and freezing. So we, we were lucky to get a place maybe in the stable or some people said, oh, you can go into our, our loft. And that was great. We had hay. Two, three days after we walked, we took some food, but it was gone. Babies had no more milk. Babies had no food. My aunt had an eight-month-old little girl, Eve. She died of exposure and, and starvation. Uh, young children walked. Like I was five and a half, I walked. Your clothes froze to your body. All you could do is just walk that way, relieve yourself through your clothes because you couldn't undress yourself. And people ate dead animals. There were plenty of dead horses and cows and not too many cows, but dogs and cats were there plentiful. When I talked to children in school, they would say, oh, good, Miss Spears now has food to eat. She can grill, you know, the horse. Well, you don't have anything to grill. Even if you were smart enough to take matches, they got wet in your pocket. All the branches on the trees were soaked. So you ate it raw like that. Ooh. Terrible. So how did you survive that? Well, a lot of people didn't. My grandparents, almost my grandfather was trampled to death. I've seen people just collapse, dying. And the worst thing was people stripped them of their clothes. They weren't even dead. They said, I need your scarf. I need your gloves. You already dead. It, it was terrible, just terrible. And you just walk on every day and... We walked like this till we came to Prague, Czechoslovakia. But I have one story that I always like to tell because I, I truly believe in the providence of God, and I believe God put this family there. Almost when before we reached Czechoslovakia, it was still in Germany, where before the people were hateful to us, wouldn't open the doors. We were diseased. We had lies, body lies, head lies. My mother had boils. We stank. We, we just looked awful. I don't blame them not opening the door for us. This one family is almost like they were just there, standing there waiting for us, welcoming us. Come on in. We couldn't believe it. They stripped us of our clothes, gave us, I remember wearing this big outfit. They gave us something to wear while they washed our clothes. They had this uh, stove belly, belly hot stove. Hot belly stove. Hot belly stove, yeah. that's it. So we were able to then dry our clothes there, and they fed us some almost rotten potatoes and thin down buttermilk, but all did it feel wonderful. I would have lost faith, as young as I was, I would have lost faith in people had it not been for that family. 
I remember the goodness of them. In the morning, they gave us some little something to eat. We, we walked on. And before I left, they gave me a little Black Forest outfit doll. I lost it again in the snow. But when I came to West Germany at the age of 19 almost, I looked in the stores and there was this little a doll like that. And I spent my first money to buy that doll. And that represented love to me. Oh, yeah. And goodness. And, you know, sometimes we say, oh, people have to tell you I love you all the time. I never was told I love you. But I knew my parents loved me. But we didn't say I love you. And so these people, when they gave me the doll, didn't say, this represents love. Never forget we loved you. I knew it. When I looked at the doll when I was 19, that, that was love. Oh, how wonderful. You know, little things we do all day long can mean so much. The practical expression of love, because I agree with you. People can say I love you and never show it, and that means they probably don't, you know. But uh, but beyond that, what, what kind of effect did that have on your life, good and bad? I mean, positive and negative effects from all of that. It probably taught me to be resilient and brave in life, prepared me probably for 13 years of communism in Poland. <laughs> but we did get to Prague and they put us in castles. And that was again bad because we were locked in because we had diseases, cholera and typhus was there. My parents, my mother had it. My father was not with us. He had to take care of other people, not, uh, couldn't take care of us. Again, you designate a, a corner in the castle for human waste, for dead bodies. And once a day, they, we got them on ropes, put the dead bodies on ropes because you could not go through the doors. We had to go through the windows. And food would come once a, week, once a day. Many times I've watched the buckets which held human waste, was cleaned a little bit, put soup in, mm. and then we got it up. Oh, that just makes me... It's terrible. It's terrible. The stench, the, the hunger, the, the lies, horrible. Nothing to read, nothing, no music, nothing to do. You just invent games. In, in 1945, in May, they kept saying, you go back. Germany lost the war. German people returned to your homes. And that's when we returned. The Polish people were there. My father owned an orchard, so I wanted to pick up an apple, even so it was May. I just thought, I don't eat, eat a green apple. And a Polish person met me and she slipped my hand. She said, Schwabe, you know, this is ours, not yours. So how did you just not grow up hating people? The Polish people hated us so badly that I, I, I couldn't. I... I was too small. By the time I got back, I was six. They took my father and for three years, they imprisoned him and tortured him. They put him wherever we were, under the bridge or in somebody's house. That They would take my father after he was beat up and put him in front of us. And we were not allowed to help him for till nighttime. That is when I began to maybe hate the people who did it. But then there were some good Russians. There were some good Polish people who, a little girl, Kaja was her name, she brought literally a teaspoon of lard, uh, a crumbs of bread, 
some Russians brought us a little bread. I had suffered uh, frostbite on my forehead and my feet, and they came try to take care of it for me. So I did see some goodness. And so I hated the, the people who did the bad stuff, but then began to like many Polish people for sharing with us. Given all that you went through, how did you end up coming to America, and, and how did you become a Christian? I need to back up a little bit and just say, in 1958, we finally were able to escape Russian communism and Polish uh, communism. My father signed all our property over to Poland. At that time, they wanted to look good, not confiscate everything. And so they let us out in an exchange of so many prisoners, so many Germans. I was very indoctrinated. So I came to West Germany, had to go to a rehabilitation school, learn all the ways of uh, the Western way of life and thinking. I didn't have to embarrass myself anymore that when somebody says, who discovered this or this, I would say, Shomoshitsky, Kolitsky, you know, all those Polish names and Russian names, that's what they fed me. All lies. After I got out of the school, I worked for some Americans, and one day my brother said, there is an American and German friendship evening. I'd like for us to go. My, my sister was at that time, 26, my brother thought, oh, she needs to meet a nice guy. Well, I don't have time to tell you how mistreated we were in West Germany. They did not greet us with open arms and the conditions we lived in, terrible. And nobody, I was 19, no German would date me or even when I went dancing, nobody wanted to dance with me, nothing. My brother thought, well, with the Americans, they might appreciate us. So I didn't want to go. I thought, for my sister's sake, I go. So that evening, there was this guy, tall, good-looking, blonde, spoke fine German, bowed, said good evening, guten Abend. I thought he was German. He just sat down next to my sister, and I said, whoop, I'm going to disappear because I draw attention to myself, and my sister is the one who needs that guy. So I left. When the evening was over, my sister came to me and she said, his name is Raymond, and, and he wants me to give him a phone number. And I said, tell them we don't even have a bathroom. They put us in an outhouse, the Germans. I said, we have nothing. We had to buy. We left with one suitcase each. We had to buy everything. We were so poor. I said, tell him we have nothing. Give him your address. So my sister did. And I said, he's not going to show up. Well, it was only next day. Here comes Raymond Spears in a German outfit. He had a German Jäger with a Bavarian hat from the mountains. I thought again he's German. He knocked on the door. He dated my sister about two and a half years, uh, two and a half months, excuse me. And then I married him. <laughs> That's how it was. My sister decided, you know, she was too, too much older than, than Raymond. Plus, Raymond saw me and fell in love with me. It was wonderful. He had not quite a year left in Germany. So we had to really rush, especially since I came from communist Poland. They had to in investigate me, I mean, thoroughly. 
before they gave permission for us to marry. We barely made it in time. And so we married in September of 61, 1961. Raymond's tour was over in March of 62. He flew by himself and I followed him in May. So, and I became a Christian then. He took me immediately to the services of the Churches of Christ. I was not religious in a sense, but in a sense I was always afraid of a God that would put me to hell because at that time all I knew is the Catholic religion, but didn't really believe in anything much. And when Raymond took me, I never saw a Bible till he showed me one and took me to the German Bible class and some German services in Kaiserslautern, Germany, little by little. I learned, but before I married Raymond, I went back to the Lutheran religion, which was my family's religion. Again, I could see that the Lutherans were closer to what the Bible teaches uh, than the Catholics were, but still not what really spoke to me. I, I just felt like there was something not right. And when Raymond showed me in the Bible what I must do to become a Christian, I had a little trouble with baptism because I said, look, I was baptized Lutheran, which I thought baptism, sprinkling, but I called it baptism. I was baptized in Lutheran church. I was baptized in the Catholic church. I was back into the Lutheran church. And now I don't need to be baptized again. Till I saw that baptism is an immersion and it is for the remission of sins. Then I didn't fight anymore. I became a Christian about six months before we married. Right. Y'all have been married how long now? This year will be 62 years. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah. I have another question for you. And this one kind of is, it's a difficult situation to me, but it, it strikes me that people coming up through our education system today are not being taught civics. They're not being taught the value of America. And uh, what would you want to tell somebody today about why... America is a wonderful place to be, or just just tell them what you think, whatever it is that you well, think. I, you know, I hear it all the time. I travel all over the United States speaking, and I hear it all the time. Oh, America is not what it used to be. Oh, America, blah, blah. And we don't have this, and we need social medicine, and we need all this. And I said, you want to go back to socialism? I can tell you something. I've been there. I cannot understand it. When I came to America, I loved it immediately. The people were wonderful, and they, they treated me great. And I, I couldn't believe it. They wanted to hear my story. I said, why do you want to hear my story? Just, just so kind. And the flags were flying, and people were really patriotic. Then, when we went back to Europe and came back in 1980, I could not believe what happened to the United States. No flags flying on, on, on any holidays. When I told them about patriotism, they said, yeah, okay, yeah. So, so complacent. It really shocked me. With all the bad things happening to America, and I don't like what's happening a lot. I hope it's improving, and maybe next president can improve it. But... <laughs> With all what's happening, there, there, there is no kindness and care like in America. 
I could never travel anywhere under Poland if I lived in Poland under communism. Here I can travel. Even in West Germany, and now Germany, they got reunited in 1990. So even in Germany, when I lived there for three years after I came back from Poland, you have to go and say, I'm leaving town for two weeks. Here's my address where I will be. When you come back from your vacation, you go back and say, I'm back. I mean, they control you. You have to wear your passport or your identification papers on you all the time because anybody has the right to stop you, examine you, check you. I came to America. I mean, Raymond, we, we need to go to the police station and tell them we are going to the Smokies. And he says, oh, no, we don't have to do that. I, I don't know how even the FBI or the police catches anybody who, who does wrong in America. How do they catch a criminal? They have nothing. They don't know where he went. They don't have, they don't have to be told where he went, and yet they catch them. That freedom alone it just blew my mind. I mean, I'm totally free to do what I want to, when I want to. I am not accountable to anybody, you know. What bothers me in America is the crime and not being punished immediately for the crime. When we lived in Madrid, under Franco, you did something wrong today, you were punished tomorrow. Public flogging, or you went to jail, immediately were sentenced. Uh, up here they sit here and sit for months or years, and even on, on death row, nothing is happening. That's why we have all the crimes. You get caught on, on drugs or doing something wrong, you, you may be sitting in jail for a month or two and come out again, do the same thing again. Well, a lot of people like it because, oh, they have televisions and dental care and doctor's care and clean sheets and blankets. So why not go to jail? <laughs> I, I think it's terrible. This has to change. Yeah, but I still love America. I'm so grateful I'm here. And I, I think everybody should appreciate what we have here. The food we have. I mean, the churches. Nobody tells you not to go. When I, when I see people still carrying the Bibles, now mostly it's, it's an electronic Bible, but some still carry the Bibles. I see them walk out. Church buildings are full. It's amazing to me. It's amazing. It's a wonderful country. Well, now you've published several books, one of which is still available on uh, Amazon. Amazon today. Tell us a little bit about your books. Well, the first book that I wrote, Tom Holland, who was the preacher here where I attended for years at Creefall Church of Christ, kept saying, he heard my story. We invited him for dinner and he said, tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, they stayed from one hour to four hours. And, and wanted to hear more and more. He said, you need to write a book. I said, I never wrote. I cannot write a book. My English wasn't all that good yet. And uh, I said, no. And he kept telling me, you need to write a book. So I finally wrote. He published it for me. And uh, it's called Dietlinde, My Four-Dimensional Life Under Nazism, Communism, Republic, Democracy. And this is really my autobiography. And that it, one's still available. Is it's available right? now in a new form in Amazon. I wrote my diary, which I have no more copies. I've written 
Dick Linden's Days, a book, short stories of things that people said, oh, fill us in, you didn't tell about this, you didn't tell about this. Well, I, it's not in print anymore, I cannot afford it. And then I went back to my home, Silesia, in 1998, after 40 years, 4-0. And when I came back, I wrote my fourth book, Did Linda's Return to Yesterday. So, Linda, you mentioned a few minutes ago that to this day you have claustrophobia. Yes. Uh, what, what are some long-term effects of what you went through during those days? It, it's terrible because that basement, the hours, hours in the basement were terrible. Everywhere I went, it was just confined and dark and reinforced my claustrophobia. So flying in a plane is hard. Flying in a plane. But you know, it comes and goes. Right now, it is very bad. I cannot even go to the hospital and be in my room closed. When I had COVID and we had to be there, I nearly went bananas because they wouldn't let me even open the door. And my daughter called me and she said, Mama, I'm praying for you. I said, please pray right now because I am going to walk out of here. And she prayed and it helped. So do you have any physical effects from all of this, like health effects? No, I, I don't think I do. But naturally, this is some kind of a mental problem. And so it, 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 it is a chain on my leg. And it, it hinders me, hinders me to go places. I don't even like to be in hotels now. But what are some other things that you would like to tell? That, that well, my, my indoctrination in, into the communistic regime and, and the bad life we had under, under communism. What was that like? Well, first, like I said, all the apartments or the houses which were not destroyed were for the Poles. So we had nowhere to live. Then finally, my aunt, before the war, used owned a bakery. And she had a servant's quarters, a tiny bedroom, and a tiny kitchen. Finally, the Poles did not know how to operate all the machines or anything. They were an agricultural country, really, of people. And so they asked my aunt to come, and my aunt took us with us. So we lived 14 people in, in that little bedroom and, and the kitchen. Again, that's when the Russians came every night looking for women to rape, shined the flashlights into our eyes, and we screamed and we were scared. And then my sister and I would sneak out to the manure pile, which the Poles had, and we would pick some rotten potatoes or any, anything we could eat, because we had nothing to eat. Th these were just hard times, and then naturally when my father was so tortured all the time and hurt. After a while, you know, we learned the language. My parents never learned it very well, but I learned it immediately, went to the first grade, then the indoctrination. But I could see that communism is not what they said it was, that there's equality, there was no equality. All the big shots didn't have to stand in line like we did for everything, six, seven, eight hours. We had one pair of shoes a year, winter, summer, no matter what you got. We never so much meat, no fruit, but they had it. So at an early age, I told myself, I'm going to become one of them. Allowed myself to be indoctrinated. I was a leader of the young people. In fact, when my father said, we are leaving, they were scared to tell me.
But finally they had to. And I said, we want you to go with us. I said, I'm not going. I'm not German. Finally, my father begged me. And I said, okay, I'll go and settle you. And I come back. Told all my boyfriends, wait for me. I'm coming back. But once I saw the freedom in, and the riches in, in Germany, I, I just said, wow, I was lied to all the these things are not so, you know. They told me, oh, people are striking in America. They didn't tell me they strike to get 10 cents more an hour. I thought they are striking because they're hungry, you know. And, and they, they were showing me the mistreatments of, of, of the black people, which was terrible to me. But then when I came, I saw there were lots of them who were free and had cars and TVs. And I was told they had nothing. Very quickly, I... I changed my mind, but it was hard. But the life in Poland was terrible. So did they start teaching you the indoctrination from first grade on? Was it? Oh, yes. You had to attend all kinds of party uh, uh, membership things. And and you had to come back for your extracurriculum classes where you were nothing but told. I remember when Stalin died. I was eighth grade. I wanted my girls that I used to take care of, indoctrinate them. I wanted to do something for Stalin. Oh, he was a wonderful man to me. And I made armbands, I dyed some, some material. I changed the song that, that I knew was a funeral march. I changed the words and I wanted us to sing it for Stalin. I stood on stage so many times, so indoctrinated. Long live Poland, down with capitalism, long live socialism. I grew up seeing just everything, socialism, Lenin, Stalin, Marx, Engels, down with capitalism. Whoever it was, we sang songs about Truman. At that time, Truman was in power. It, it, was, it was terrible. The Polish language, I had to speak German hush-hush at home, and I told my father, I don't want to speak German. He kept saying, you need to speak German. Uh, you need to learn the language. Well, when I came back to West Germany, I, I spoke German quite well, but not fluent. Had to renew all my schooling, went to a German high school, went to a German new language school. And then I came to America three years later and had to do it all again. <laughs> learn the language, new custom, new language. I survived. <laughs> you have triggered in a lot of folks a deeper love and appreciation for America. Thank you. So thank you for doing that. Thank you spent a lot I of love your America. Life I love America. Yeah. I'm so grateful to be here. So good. And and love being a Christian. That that is every marriage has their ups and downs and when I get angry with my husband once in a while, I have to remember if it weren't for him, I wouldn't know the truth. I wouldn't be a Christian. I'm not angry anymore. I go and love on him, you know. It's a wonderful thing to be a Christian free from guilt, free from punishment. And even so, I have freedom in America. That's still not the same freedom oh, yeah. as freedom in Christ. Well, I just want you to know that you're one of the heroes of my life. Uh, Thank you. You have been through more than I can even imagine and seen things that I hope I never have to see. I, I, I hope I never have to go through it. And yet, you've come through that as one of the strongest, sweetest, uh, most courageous person I know. And 
And so thank you for just being you. You've made a difference in my life. Thank you so much. Thank you for letting me come. And I appreciate you telling your story. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you so much. There's so much more to tell, but you know, you cannot tell it in that short time. Oh, yeah. Well, thank you. For I'm 84 years old, so. <laughs> we need to get that story out. That's <laughs> yeah, I get that story out. <laughs> it, it is out. It is out. It's all over the United States where I spoke and at lectureships and papers and books of it. And so, yes, but thank you so much. But, God bless me very much to, to not to be bitter and caustic.